0: Lord be with you. In those astonishing days after the very first Easter, we can't really know how many times Christ did a resurrection visit with the people that he knew. I personally would like to think that there would have been some really fun and really interesting off book sort of surprise pop in visits with all kinds of different people. Maybe Jesus went and visited some of the characters we've met in the Gospels or or people that we've never, ever heard about. For our part, though, we do have eight Gospel accounts to work with. Eight different visits with the resurrected Christ. Just sort of nonchalantly popping in. Surprising people. People like Mary Magdalene from last week's passage, or the other Mary, so-called Doubting Thomas, and those nameless disciples on the Emmaus Road who had their eyes opened to the presence of Jesus when he broke bread with them. They told their friends that their hearts were burning in their chests. Every one of these gospel stories is remarkable in its own way. These folks had been through a lot. And these visits with the risen Christ, they would change the course of people's lives. In the weeks and months ahead, but behind us, we've been traveling with so many gospel characters, and each of them has helped sketch for us a little bit of the the contours and the forms and the shapes of faith and doubt and anxiety and fear and grief and relief and surprise and hope and joy. Of those eight visits, though, in the Gospels, if I had to pick just one Jesus' time on the lake shore with the seven fishermen disciples is probably my favorite. It's a really cool epilogue to John's whole gospel story, and it ties up some important loose ends. Because there was some unfinished business that hung in the air like a dark cloud. This is the story of Simon Peter's restoration his healing, his commissioning even. I think it's safe to say that for most of us, some of the most disappointing elements of life are the relationships that we can name that didn't work out. There's friends who have let us down, sure, but The really deep pains are usually the self-inflicted wounds from damaged or lost friendships, harm caused by our own mistakes or neglect or carelessness, things we could go back and do over, words we wish we could unsay, or worse. When I was thinking about this, I immediately thought of a story from 25 years ago that still kind of pangs me inside. And I thought, oh, that's exactly the kind of thing I'm talking about. And then I thought, I'm not going to share that story in a sermon. You can do that work yourself. I don't need to give you any help. Most of us have some idea how Simon Peter would have felt in today's gospel story. Just think of how many ways that disciple had already humiliated himself. He was the disciple who was famous for making really brave predictions of his success. And in time, he'd proven himself a liar, a fool, a coward, a a terrible friend, an unfaithful disciple. He was a person humiliated by regret and plagued with despair. By the time we get to John chapter 21, I think it's safe to say that Peter probably hadn't been getting very good night's sleep. Nightmares as clear as day, waking him in the night with the faces of servant girls carrying torches. The voices of taunting bystanders calling him out for his hill country accent. A tightness in his chest and a lightness in his arms and legs and food that just doesn't taste quite right anymore. Nothing feels quite right anymore. If only something somehow could go back to normal, whatever normal is or was. Over the years, a lot of people have kind of shamed Peter for going back to life as a fisherman. But what else was he going to do? Of course, Peter went fishing, sliding back into a familiar old routine. It's the one gainful thing that this man could do. Something he could do pretty well, actually. Maybe even on cruise control. Simon Peter used to be a disciple of Jesus of Nazareth, but now he's just a guy who does what he does one day at a time. (sighs) Go through the motions, Peter. Get yourself out of bed and forget again to pick up coffee and muffins for the crew next time check the equipment, mend the nets, and then find yourself standing for, you're not sure how long, at the end of the dock, in the dark mist of the morning, and just stare into the void. Until a crewmate interrupts your moment with, and startles you with another question about rope or sails or something about the boat, Overhear your friends in concerned conversations about you that trail off as you walk by. And hold on to the tiller and maneuver the boat across the waves and try and make small talk and try to laugh along with another corny joke from Thomas or those Zebedee brothers. It's not a great day on the water, actually. There's not even one fish. Weird. Fuss a little with the boat's rigging and try not to think about the 10-ton stone anchor of regret and shame and embarrassment that presses down on your chest. And try not to relive that horrible moment every single time you hear a rooster crow. I do not know that, man. I said that. But maybe there can be life. For a failed disciple as at least a moderately successful ship captain and small business owner. Maybe. The funny thing about the fishermen, disciples in the Gospels, and maybe it's a bit of a theological point, probably a bit of a theological point, As we can assume that they're good enough and practiced enough at their chosen profession. But in all four of the Gospels, the disciples never ever catch a single fish without Jesus' help. It's weird, right? Today's Gospel reading opens with one of those moments. A voice calls from the shoreline, Hey boys! Try fishing on the starboard side of the boat. Okay, uh, weird, but it turns into a crazy scene because this unorthodox technique from this stranger on the shore, well, it works. And they catch way too many fish for the boat. And as they're struggling to pull in the catch, someone shouts, Hey, it's, it's the Lord. And Peter doesn't even wait to land the boat ashore. He jumps into the water and thrashes his way to the beach. These are the actions of a desperate man. If you have ever had the pleasure of cooking the fish that you just caught over an open fire and then shared it with family or friends on the shoreline, you know what a timeless and nearly perfect sort of pleasure that can be. It's such a treat. All of your senses alive and there on the boundary of water and land and under the sky with the sun cresting the hilltops, the watery depths have somehow provided their bounty It's nourishing and delicious and simple. And for a moment, all of the hassle and the trouble of the day on the water just kind of come together and make sense. And this is the scene that greets those astonished fishermen as they come ashore. Jesus has done the work to build a proper charcoal cooking fire with fish and bread, and I'm going to say there was an assortment of suitable spreads and dips and sauces and all the things you need for a good breakfast on the beach. If you know me at all, you know that Jesus cooking on coals over on, by the beach might just be my favorite Jesus in the Gospels. Here's a funny thing. Buried in the text is one of those little Bible tidbits that kind of helps to know some language background stuff. It's one of those little storytellers' flags for us. Because this text is sure to note that Jesus is cooking over a charcoal fire. And what makes this such a great clue for us is that the only other time in the whole New Testament that this one specific word for charcoal fire is used? Well, that's the story of Simon Peter in the high priest's courtyard, warming himself in the dark. And what is he standing next to? You guessed it, a charcoal fire. Because this isn't just a story about Jesus talent for hospitality or outdoor cooking or his provision and care for his followers, which it certainly is. But this is also an intervention story. The heavy-hearted disappointment of a disciple is about to be restored. Everybody knows that if you're going to heal a wound, sometimes you have to... Remove the splinter first. And in this case, it's three very deep and jagged splinters. Three brutal denials. Three painful questions. Jesus is here for the hard talk. A redemptive conversation. And so, after breakfast, Peter and Jesus sat on the edge of the lake. And three times Jesus asked Peter if he loved him. Each time Peter responded with, Of course I love you. You know this. Jesus responds with, Feed my lambs. Tend my sheep. Feed my sheep. It's the third time, that third question though, that repetition of Jesus. The last interrogation cuts really deep for Peter. And he winces as the final deep shard is removed. And then just like that, Jesus seems to change gears. He doesn't dwell on it. He doesn't keep talking about it because the painful procedure is over And as far as Jesus is concerned, let's get down to business. And the Lord is already talking to Peter about the ways that following Jesus in the world are going to cost him. Someday, even costing him his life. Nobody said, this was a safe job. Peter, you've known this all along. Welcome back to the team, friend. Because as it happens, this lakeside meal, this intervention, was also Peter's ordination, breakfast. And Jesus is already talking to him, not as an ex-disciple turned fisherman, but as a co-worker, a collaborator. A part of a great cohort of the church working for God's purposes in the world. Simon Peter is on a new vocational path because he's not a fisherman anymore. He's a shepherd. Friends, people like us sometimes make such a mess of things. People like us so often carry the weight of regret and disappointment People like us are what the church is made of. We have our own intervention stories with Christ where we meet the grace that assures us that our story is not over. We are a called people. Grateful people who are daily, weekly, hourly, regularly reminded of that simple calling. Feed my sheep. It's the calling that changes everything. A life that's lived for the care of all God's children. Feed my lambs. Care for the little ones. The most vulnerable people that you know. Tend and feed my sheep. Jesus speaks to us. Please take Good care of my dear people. People that you know dearly and strangers on your way. This is the mark of a people who love Jesus. Day after day, week after week, year after year, this is fresh hope even in the wake of our failed efforts. We've all had some days. Some we're proud of and others we wish we could take back. Many though that we are deeply grateful for. And still yet the Spirit's voice gently calls to us. Watch out for the same people that Jesus cares about. And yeah people like us, people like us get to do work like this. What a miracle! What a gift! Thanks be to God.